He'll come back for the second. India have won the test match. India have won the series. Hello and welcome to Everyone All Out Podcast. This is Mahesh, your host for today's show. In the lead up to India's uh, test series against Australia, as we always do, we look back at one of the oldest series between the two sides. And for this episode, we've chosen to look at India's tour of Australia 1980-81, which uh, contained one of India's most uh, iconic test wins in Melbourne as well. To talk about this test, I've got two very special guests today. Uh, two people who've uh, grown up watching a lot of cricket in the 70s and 80s and who still have very fond memories of their time period. Uh, one is a fellow cricket fan from Bangalore, Raja Swaminathan. Hi, Raja. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Mahesh. Happy to be here. Cheers. And the other one is uh, Giridhar of uh, the famous Giridhar Raghunath Dio. Uh, the Dio which has given us uh, a couple of very, very good cricket books. One is Midwicket Tales from Trumper to Tendulkar. And their latest book is on India's greatest test from Mumbai to Durban. One of them... In that uh, list is the Melbourne Test of 81, which we're going to talk about. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Giridhar. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. The pleasure is entirely mine. Okay. So with that, let's get started. So uh, give us a little bit of a background about uh, your life. How old were you and what were you doing at, uh, at that stage? Where, 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 where were you living and, and how are you following the series? Just to get a sense of uh, uh, you know, how people were watching cricket at that time. Raja, do you want to get started? Yeah, okay. So, a little bit about myself. Um, okay, so um, I, uh, most of my cricket is from the 1970s and uh, the 1981, by the time the 1981 series came around, I had seen a lot of Indian uh, cricket. I mean, mostly on radio because at that time I didn't have any access to television. So, all my memories of the 70s and including this 81 series, uh, the memories are all from radio only. So I remember the commentary. I, I don't remember the details of the commentary, but I do remember the commentators at the time, you know, people like Suresh Suraya or Dikhi Ratnagar or Anand Satalwat or even the Hindi commentator, Sushil Doshi, Narutam Puri. But all my memories are of radio. As an introduction, I'd say that uh, well, I grew up in Orissa. I was born in Orissa, grew up in Orissa. Then I moved to Delhi. Then I spent some time in Hyderabad. Then a few years in Mumbai, then a few years in Europe, and now I'm back in Bangalore. I've been in Bangalore now for the last uh, almost a decade now. Uh, so that's uh, my background. And I've been a cricket fan right from the beginning, and from as uh, early as I can remember. The first series I remember is uh, the Indian famous tour of England in 1974. Um, actually, I should say infamous because uh, that series has probably scarred me for life. <laughs> It's the very first series you're following. Cricket is very new to you. You don't even know the rules of the game well. You don't know the players well. And you have expectations from your Indian team. They go there and they have a disaster of a series, including the famous 42 all out, which I I usually refer to that as 42 for nine because uh, we never lost that 10th wicket. Chandra didn't bat at all. So to make me feel better, I say 42 for nine. (laughs) But that was my introduction to cricket. And that also sort of set my preferences of teams because ever since that series, I've always supported any team that has played against England. It's nothing about England players as such, but just psychologically, any team that plays England, not only in cricket, but in any sport, whether it's hockey, football, whatever, I'm always rooting for the other side. Okay, so um, that is why I'm a big fan of Australia, actually, because six months after being hammered by England, the same England team, uh, went to Australia and got hammered by Ian Chappell's side. Tomo, Lily, you know, all those players. Um, the, the, Greg Chappell had a fantastic series and, uh, and there was Rod Marsh, uh, uh, Terry Jenner, Ashley Mallet, uh, all of them. So Australia is one of my, happens to be one of my favorite sites. So if you're talking India versus Australia, I am not one of those Indians who's always gunning for India. You know, I mean, nowadays, of course, Australia, India has become the uh, contest to look out for. Okay, sometimes probably even more than India, Pakistan sometimes because we don't play each other anyway nowadays. But for me, I don't mind so much losing to Australia because there's something about Australia that I've always been thankful for and that is because they sort of put England in their place in the 70s. Okay, that's the bias I want to put out there up front. Okay, I'll just stop here now and uh, hand over back to you, Mahesh. So if you were to start a podcast, I'm guessing that'll be titled 42 for 9. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That 42, all out of 42 for nine. That would be my my podcast name. I still have memories of that innings. Huh? And Solkrog hit a six in that innings. I remember that very well because I was that was my first that's my introduction, right? So I had no idea what scores normally used to be. So I didn't even know it was that bad a score till I realized later that hey, 42. What is 42? I mean, that's something Sehwag probably gets in an hours of hour of batting, you know. So that was how bad uh, it was at that time. Uh, what about you, Giri? How, what were you doing in life at that time? How were you following the series? Give us a little bit uh, of sense of that time and place. I think uh, 1981, uh, early years of my career, uh, I was with a company in Bombay and traveling a lot. So I remember that uh, I caught a few of the highlights of the 1981 uh, one-day series that India and New Zealand and Australia played. I think they played each other five times. Uh, we began well in the beginning, I think, the first few matches and then uh, faded away. And around that time, I was also traveling around like anything. But I came back in time to see a bit of the second test and I also caught a fair bit of the third test, which is the test uh, that we are probably going to talk a bit about today. Uh, the one where we came from nowhere to win. Uh, but if you ask me, uh, my first ever memory of an India-Australia match is actually the 1964 match that we won in Bombay at the Bravan Stadium. I, I was living in Delhi and I think I was about eight or nine when India won and we were glued to the radio as of course in those days with Chandu Borde and Indrajit Singhji carving out the last 30-40 runs and my father and the man upstairs, the neighbor upstairs, I still remember his name, Gurjar. Don't ask me how do I remember his name but Gurjar uncle and uh, my dad and me hopping on one leg as India went to some 230 for eight or something to get that victory. So that's my earliest memory of uh, an India-Australia game. And of course, after that, uh, we went to Australia in 1967-68, followed the game on radio. PM Chakrapani from here went as a commentator. Uh, my dad and uh, some of my elder uncles would always talk to me about uh, Bobby Charlton and Johnny Moyes on commentary on the 13-meter band. Uh, but my earliest memory, of course, is Alan McGilvray in the 67-68 series. Uh, and something I can never forget is his commentary where he would say, edged, caught, and dropped. Now, he was so quick on the commentary that on radio, you will hear him say, edged and caught because you're seeing the ball go to first slip or second slip and then say dropped because he would then say, oh, the ball's been dropped. That was Alan McElroy, unforgettable uh, in his description. So that those are my memories. And of course, uh, as uh, Raja said, the 70s, I think, with uh, the visit to West Indies and England and so on. But I want to make a point about that 70-71 thing. We always uh, were poor travelers getting crashed. But I think in the 70 visit to West Indies, we drew the first test match, which I think is the most significant event of the 70s. People can argue with me. But I think the fact that we drew the first test at uh, Jamaica, Kingston, if I'm not mistaken, and then won the Port of Spain test match, went on to England, win, won 71. I think things changed from there. You had a very good fielding unit, closing fielding unit. You had a couple of good utility all-rounders and Gavaskar was there. Vishnath was coming in. Uh, but the batting was still rel relatively fragile. And I still remember Bedi saying, I don't know if I quoted him in the book, saying, give us 250 runs, man, we'll consistently and we'll win matches for you. And we struggled to put 250 consistently, uh, uh, even though we had Gaskar and Vishwanath in the team. So those are memories. And I think, uh, I think we had a very good period between 79 and 80 uh, when India beat uh, a second string Australia here, the post Packer uh, Australian team here, followed by a visit, a victory against uh, Pakistan. But I still think that by the time the team went in 81 to England, uh, to Australia, it was not a very strong team. It had potential, but I don't think it was a strong team. So I think uh, drawing the series, if you had told India would draw the series, I think they would have taken it uh, anytime. We are very, very lucky to draw the series. Uh, so just to pick up on one point that you said that you came back and you were following the second test or, or, or you said you watched. So uh, can you just clarify how were you following the series? In my mind, I assumed everybody was either watching, I mean, uh, following the commentary and, and reading the newspaper reports. Or yeah, whatever. Did, you, did you get some clips? Really, as well? really. There were highlights that were uh, uh, 
uh, there were highlights one hour highlights that capsules that would come and uh, i still remember that the uh, one day series if you remember was the time when the channel 9 had started the best catches of the tournament and stuff like that so we we did get some highlights of uh, the the period if i'm not mistaken um and of course on the radio we followed the uh, uh, the commentary so i think there were half an hour or 45 50 minute capsules or maybe longer capsules either the same night or the next day oh that's excellent i had no idea that they used to show highlights uh, in fact in fact even for the 77 78 series that we went there were capsules and they were i, mean, I, I of course there was a gap so i guess we would see the highlights uh, probably a day later or something like that uh, because i remember there were some couple of very dicey decisions that went and one remembered seeing it in slow motion because by then slow motions were there and stuff like that so i think the highlight stuff had come in then uh, by then okay okay fair enough okay to to continue on on uh, the point that you mentioned about india having a good run against a depleted australia at home and and then pakistan so how like what is the mood going into the series and the reason why i'm asking is that uh, even though the series against, against pakistan was impressive but there was hardly any cricket between then and this so i think the whole year of 1980 india played three tests two of them were the the remaining last two tests of the pakistan series and only one test which was the jubilee test against uh, against england so it is quite a barren year for india considering 1979 was an absolutely packed calendar so how was the lead up to the series in india in the media you know what was what were your expectations going into the series as a fan you know just give us a sense of uh, of the preview to the series so yeah you're absolutely right there was virtually no cricket in 80 i just remember the jubilee test the, to celebrate 50 years of uh, bcci but other than that there, it was a pretty barren period so uh, it's very difficult then to assess the form of the players what to expect but by then i had i'm speaking only for myself i can't speak for the average indian cricket fan of the time but for myself i had never had a very high level of expectation from the indian cricket team because i was so used to us performing well raising hopes and then suddenly dashing hopes again you know so that had happened that had been the the story of the 70s anyway right for example if you look at 76 77 when mcc toured india we got we were we lost very badly it was a terrible series it's probably still the worst home series i can think of but if you look at that series we just before that series we won a home series against new zealand 2-0 comfortably it should have been 3-0 actually and england was visiting india on the back of a thrashing by west indies right richards got 829 runs in that series holding hammered them holding or 14 wickets in that oval test match so i was used to india raising your expectations and then dashing them so even if we had won in uh, india we had won um, the 2-0 against kim hughes team kim hughes side of uh, in 79 80 followed by uh, the six test series against pakistan which we won 2-0 even you know, though we had won those two series i didn't uh, base my expectations on on that i thought okay we're going to australia the last series i remembered was for 77 78 when we had told where we should have won that series too but we lost 2-3 that was a second string aussie side and this was going to be a top aussie side with lily and greg chapel back so that completely changes everything i mean i was expecting greg chapel to hammer us in every test match i had a very very high regard for greg chapel as a batsman i mean it's now now if you look back you know a lot of people in india don't have a particularly high opinion of greg chapel because of his controversies relating to ganguly and all that but purely as a batsman in that era you had viv richards you had gavaskar you had greg chapel and he was technically so good at especially in australia i mean in england he didn't have that great a record but in australia greg chapel was quite capable of being bradmanesque you know he was he was a he used to score big hundreds he used to it was very difficult to dismiss him technically very correct so i i thought okay this could be a 3-0 actually and i was mentally sort of prepared for that and when we lost the first test um, again chapel did get a double hundred there i thought okay that's par for my expectations there it's 1-0 already when we do the second test i was like hey not bad this is not going to be more than 2-0 <laughs> you know so when we won the last test i just could not believe it i thought hey 
We've got out of jail here, the biggest jail in the world. Come on. This is supposed to be 3-0. It would have been 2-0. And now it's 1-1. We've actually leveled it. You know, I just couldn't believe it. But I think it's also because the players themselves, and I don't want to I want to run anyone down, but that team, like just like Giri said earlier, we we were not that strong a side. You know, we were still there were still some players who had to prove themselves. I mean, Shivlal Yadav had never been to Australia. He he'd had a good home series, but nothing much beyond that. Doshi, of course, was an experienced player in, in in county cricket and all that, but we didn't know how he'd do in in Australia. So we had the reliable players like Gavaskar Vishwanath and Vengsaka was still just. Coming into his own, huh? we, I want to make a point about Vengsakar here because everybody talks of him as one of the greatest Indian batsmen and he he has been one of the greatest batsmen, but he actually really started delivering only in the mid-80s and beyond. Till that time, he, he showed flashes of brilliance. He was talked about as a very promising player, much like Rohit Sharma <laughs> more recently, but he flattered to DC very often. And I don't mean it negatively because he always had class. There was never any doubt about that. He, he got into the side as a 19-year-old, you know, because of that Irani Trophy, 100, 110, I think he scored in the final, in that Irani Trophy game. But he was not a reliable player in 80-81. Till the, I remember in his first, about almost 20 test innings, Wengsaka didn't even get 150. Okay? And that... He's just a pure batsman, not an all-rounder, huh? but they persisted with him and he slowly grew. He slowly grew as a, he was, of course, to his uh, credit, I must give him, be fair to him. He was shuffled up and down the order, sometimes opener, sometimes number six, number seven. But he never, at that point in time, he never settled as a number three or number four batsman. At that time, okay. Number four, he became uh, later when Mohinder took over that role, but he was number three when Vishwanath was number four. And he never gave me the confidence at that point in time that he wouldn't uh, get dismissed cheaply. And he always put pressure on Vishwanath, you know, because one moment we'd be 37 for no loss. Next minute, minute we are are 41 for two because Johan is gone and Vingsaka is gone. So I'm always a little... um, uh, like I always qualify my appreciation of Vengsakra. I don't say he's, of course, he's a very good batsman. He was a very good batsman, but he took his time. So in 80-81, he was still not the solid batsman that he was in the mid-80s. In the mid-80s, he was phenomenal. He was one of the world's best. Hey, Giri, give us a sense of, uh, you know, the preview of the series from your perspective. Uh, One, it is a strong Australian side. They've just won a series against New Zealand. India, like you already mentioned, you know, despite the series win against uh, Pakistan and, and Australia earlier, we're not the favoured team to win the series. So there was already a sense of foreboding there. And then you follow that with a thumping sort of loss in Sydney. Let's just put that into context. Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, the fact is that uh, once we're done with the Pakistan series and we came to Australia, we drew the series 1-1. But the fact is that you have to wait for a few more years before we turn the corner. Because we came back, we had a very desultory uh, 1-0 series win in India against England. That's just uh, 1-0 in a 5 or 6 test match series. And then we went to England, we didn't compete. Came back here, 83-84, got trashed by West Indies, forget the Prudential Cup win. So I think over a period of time from about the 1980, end of 1980 till uh, I think around the mid-80s, I think the... The Indian test team was biding its time. It just didn't get that crucial, critical mass of bowling and batting together. Uh, a batting that consistently puts up 250, 300 and a, and a 300 and, and a bowling unit that could take 20 wickets. So I guess at, on that too, let me uh, say two things. One, I was very, very interested in uh, two cricketers from India at that time. Uh, one was T. Srinivasan and one was Sandeep Patil. Uh, T. Srinivasan, I had seen for the first time in a Ranji Trophy match in 1972 score a most delightful half century. And I'm a sucker for style. So if in my childhood I had adored somebody like Jaisima, my, my childhood hero was Jaisima. Uh, I think uh, as I was in, uh, I, was, I think I was about 15 or 16 when I saw uh, T play that innings. And I followed T very closely, even though I had to follow him on paper and radio after that. And then I saw him again many years later bat. But that innings that I saw made me want to watch him. And it took eight years for me to finally see T make it to the team. I was in Calcutta on a business visit in September 1980. I think when T hit a century in a Deodhar Trophy uh, final. 
And I said, now is the time for TE to make it. And sure enough, TE got into the team for the Australian tour. The pity is that uh, TE probably, and I'm talking from memory here, Maheshan Raja, I think TE played probably one or two one-dayers only. The first one-dayer, I remember, out for four or six or something like that, uh, out to hog or somebody like that. And, and then afterwards, nothing till he played the final test match against New Zealand in the second leg of the tour. Then he scored 29. And I still feel a deep regret that probably T never got his due. Um, I also wrote about this in an article in uh, ESPN when T was uh, terminally ill, I think, uh, of cancer. And he was just, uh, I think, a year or more to live and he was terminally ill. And I wrote about players like T were tremendously unfortunate to have just played that one game for India, uh, one test. And of course, that one or two one days for India. There's a lot of talk about T uh, being a motor mouth and things like that. I don't know how far those true stories are true. But my co-author, Raghu, knows T very well and says that T was just a wonderful human being. And I thought I'll say that for me, one of the disappointments was I just couldn't see T play enough either in the one days or the test. That's one. The other guy I wanted to watch was uh, Sandeep Patil. Living in Bombay, I'd seen Sandeep's uh, innings in Ranji Trophy. Absolutely uh, classy to watch. And a bat that made a unique sound. Uh, I think in those days, I don't know, people didn't talk of bat weights. But I have a suspicion that uh, Sandeep Patil's bat might have been a few grams more than many other bats. And, and the way he would hit the ball on the rice back, he was... He was he was tremendous. And, and what I want to tell you is, as Raja said, yes, he was a revelation uh, on that tour. But I think if you look at overall that short career that Sandeep had, he's one of the few Indian batsmen whose overseas record is damn good. He went to Pakistan, hit runs. He went to England, he hit that century. He went to Australia. And Richie Benno described his 174 unforgettably as an innings with pearls around the ground. He scored a 65, he got hit on the head, came back, next test. And I think it was only on that tour after getting hit on the head that he started wearing a helmet. And he gives a lot of credit to uh, Gavaskar and I think uh, Natkarni. I think they both uh, said, I think, I don't know about Natkarni, but certainly he's talked about Gavaskar saying, even if you go back and play a ball, it's enough for me, but please don't sit in the pavilion. You got hit, go back and face a ball and come. And I think he faced a ball, top edged it for a four and got out immediately. And Gavaskar said, you've done your job. Now you'll bat well. Don't worry. And then that 174, and it went on. I think after that came that one uh, century in England. So I think he, he was a wonderful bat. And if you look at his records, I think his overseas records are stand up very favorably against many other Indians. I always feel that had Patil had a longer career, he'd have had a much, much more of recognition, you know, because people don't talk of Sandeep Patel that much nowadays. You know? they all, everyone talks about all those players who've got 6,000, 7,000 runs in tests. But even in that brief career, he was one of those players who shone, you know, he just shone, he came, he entertained us so much. His innings were never boring either. I remember him always attractive. And in those times, it was very rare actually to see an attacking Indian batsman. You know, but the, the, those six fours he hit of uh, Willis over in, Eng in England, imagine, right? So, these are things that you remember Patil for. And even in this 80-81 series, though we won the game at Melbourne, I think the 174 in uh, the second test actually would have psychologically helped India a lot. Because after being hammered in the first test, and in the second test also we pretty much lost. I mean, we just managed to hold on to that, to a draw there. That Patil 174 would have boosted the confidence of the Indian players quite a bit. And that would have uh, helped them to actually believe that they could they could go for a win in the third test. So, it's not just what you do as a player on the field, but it's how you lift up the players around you. And he was completely new. And you knew a lot more about Patil from his domestic cricket. To be honest, I didn't know much about him till he made his test debut. And he made his test debut just a little bit earlier, I remember, in the home series. And I didn't know much about Patil. So, I was like, who's, who's this Sandeep Patil? But right from the time... Uh, he started playing. I knew that, okay, this guy is a good pick. And I was, I, I was very disappointed when he had such a short career. I think he left for some personal reasons or whatever. But he deserved to play for at least another... He was very young when he uh, when he stopped playing. Huh? He could have played for at least for another five, six years at least, you know. And he would have easily got 5,000 plus runs. And he would have been a 
big support for us in the late 80s also but he sort of uh, just faded away i don't know for whatever personal reasons we don't i don't know the reasons maybe you guys know but uh, i just feel uh, it was a loss for indian cricket uh, that innings of 174 actually was the reason why we could square the series actually straight forward because i think uh, uh, mahesh uh, australia i think had scored 500 plus in the first innings i think that was the test where kim hughes had scored a double 100 uh, uh, i think so and there was no way we could have saved the match unless we also put up a decent uh, first innings score and the reason we put up that 400 plus uh, score in our first innings was largely due to sandeep patel's uh, 174 uh, so that's what made us uh, survive the second test and go into the third test uh, to and and that's that's how we could even imagine of uh, squaring the series so i think straight uh, straight uh, utility of uh, 174 by him but the quality of the innings was that i think he scored that 174 of 240 balls or 250 balls something around uh, a strike rate of 70 75 in a test innings out there playing pasco lily and hog if i'm not mistaken and to score that 174 and beno beno spent a beno a man of few words i think if i remember right said those words pearls around the ground i cannot forget that uh, and and strangely if, uh, since the talk is about that 881 if i can go on to two more things uh, correct me if i'm wrong but i think the 881 was the series where lily and gavaskar squared off because i think uh, india and uh, uh, australia never visited india after 69 their next visit was 79 lily didn't come india went in 77 78 which was the time when australia played their second 11 with bobby simpson as captain so we didn't play lily so i think the 8081 series was the one where uh, india played uh, lily and gavaskar played lily and the first two test matches he did not done much and even in the first innings of the third test uh, if somebody can check out the scores nothing much so it was all hinging upon uh, a certain kind of i must do something in the last innings of the series and gavaskar's at last getting in getting into his groove and i think was on 71 when he he was adjudged lbw by the unforgettable umpire whitehead uh, people talk of a lot of umpiring decisions but that one gavaskar scored again i didn't edge the ball onto the pad i played it onto my pad he said so so that's gavaskar and the other one was uh, vishnath very worried about his form he'd had a run of poor form even from the previous series wasn't doing well here and true to vishnath uh, he comes up with a century that wins a game for you and i think it's some kind of a record that i think every one of vishnath's innings <laughs> such innings has resulted in a in a in a victory for india or at least saving a game i don't think is it a century in a losing cause if i'm not mistaken uh, if you go to uh, in my i book i given a reference to a youtube uh, clipping of uh, the highlights of that game and i saw it for myself as raghu and i were researching and writing our book and you'll notice that many of his hits in this century in the century of 114 it's a clever innings it's not vishnath that is best it's vishnath past is best let's accept it but such a fine accomplished intelligent cricketer that he bided his time against the fast bowlers i don't think there were any of those uh, shots that he played against Roberts in seventy four, seventy five, and all that. Forget him. I think many of his runs came from Yardley, and if there was another spinner, uh, I don't remember. It was against uh, Yardley and some other spinner, and he bided his time and took his uh, other runs uh, here and there from the fast bowlers. I think Jim that was Hicks. ah Jim Hicks, the leg spinner. <laughs> so Jim Hicks, the leg spinner. So I think it it was a very very it was an innings. People say about. eschewing your ego and doing something i think that innings of vishnath was innings of great character a man who knew he was not at his best a man perhaps reconciled to the fact that he was beyond his best and a man who was deeply worried that i cannot be doing this again and again and then squared up and uh, buckled up and hit a, a century in a winning cause i think that match had bravery also if i can just add a couple of things you had uh, shivlal yadav bowling a whole day with a broken toe he took a yorker on his toe and it was fractured and then the next day shivlal yadav comes and bowls a lot of overs standing as first slip so that he doesn't have to run 
and then comes back and bowls his coat off overs. He was in no condition to bowl in the fourth innings or so. Dilip Doshi, meanwhile, also picked up and was limping, walking wounded. And of course, you know about Kapil there picking up the groin strain and was it a groin strain or hamstring pull? I don't remember now. Hamstring, hamstring. Hamstring. And taking injections and people saying, no, you won't do it. And he comes and takes that uh, 5 for 28. Um, and you must watch the highlights, of course, again on the YouTube. <laughs> it's really got an epic but highlights. And one of the things that I noticed epic uh, is, is uh, like you said, right, how how intelligent Vishwanath was. Couple they, you know, injured, not bowling at his best, but he knew the wicket was deteriorating and he just had to bowl straight. He saw Lily bowling straight. Guy comes and gets those sharp inswingers coming in and bowls dead straight and lets the pitch do the rest, right? It is a masterclass in bowling on such wickets and particularly for a guy who's injured and he, he bowled what, 16 overs non-stop. Quite an outstanding spell. You know, you know when we were uh, studying this game, uh, Mahesh and Raja, to score that 130 or whatever they needed and they got all out for 83. It, it was perhaps one of Australia's worst batting performances. I agree, it's a fourth innings match and on the final day, the pitch doing a bit here and there. But remember, India had no bowlers. <laughs> Kapil could not have bowled more than a few hours more. He was, his tank must have been empty by then. Dilip Doshi doing whatever he could on that limb. So literally, if, they had, if Australia had pulled on for, let's say, three or four more overs, even if there were, say, 83 for six, they could still have had a chance at scoring the remaining 30, 40 runs or whatever, because India had no bowling left. These guys were finished. So, so I think it was tremendous, and 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 for that reason, it it was I think an absolute miracle. If, if I might add something here, now that you're bringing back memories of that match, and I'm getting totally nostalgic now. I I did I never believed we would win till, you know, the sixth wicket fell, and when Border got out at 55, I think 55 or 56, Border getting out gave me a little bit of hope, but there was still Marsh, and Doug Walters was always a very dangerous. Uh, uh, player because he was a real fighter. So for me, I was every wicket took us that bit closer. But and I was like, okay, one more, one more, one more. And they, I, I must say, like you said, Australia batted badly too. I mean, Lily got out to a very poor shot. He just went for a big hit. But the fact that we were just defending one, they needed one forty-three to win. One forty-three is nothing. Like you said, we didn't have bowlers, so it was they just had to. If Australia had just applied themselves a little bit more. Our bowlers would wouldn't have been able to stop them, you know. But they just, I think they were careless. I think Reb Chapel said later that it is a very tricky type of a score, right? One forty three, you expect to get it. And uh, I, re I, when they were overnight twenty four for three, I don't think many Indians, and I didn't for sure. Many Indians gave India a chance because even at twenty four for three, you still have seven wickets. You got another hundred and twenty odd runs to get. Come on. You you back the batting side any day any time. Of course, the wicket was playing very very. <laughs> wicket was playing all sorts of tricks, but even even then, I mean, guys like see, you have Border and Walters. These two are top quality players. Okay, so if one of them had hung around there, and both of them are capable of digging themselves in, there was plenty of time. So time was not an issue. You know, so you for an India for India to win, and especially now again speaking for myself, being so used to. India losing the initiative in a game, like to snatching snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. I was very used to that. Okay, I was never used to snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. So it was such an exhilarating feeling at that point in time. I was like, "Hey, we actually got them for eighty-three. I can't, I couldn't believe it. Like, but like like you said, it was just one of those days. Kapil, everybody just raised his game. Kapil was just superb. Not, I don't think he bowled any loose deliveries at all. He was just on the ball, every single ball, attacking the stumps, didn't give anything away. Okay, so everybody spirits got, just got lifted. I think. I mean, every, I'm just listening to you is just bringing back all those moments to me. Huh? All that. I mean, there was. I, I think about Kavri dismissing Greg Chapel, and. Who would have expected Greg Chappell to get out first, first ball? It doesn't happen. In Australia, it just doesn't happen. Everything combined in that inning. Everything came together. I mean, uh, uh, just, Raja, I don't know. by the way, if I can Giri, just... I think you, you have a not-so-flattering description of that dismissal in your book, right? Yeah, and uh, Mohan did tell us personally. Our Mohan, who covered the test, I think, did it pitch twice before it hit the stumps. 
<laughs> it, 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 it was a terrible okay. delivery, I think. Okay, okay. But just okay. everything but, but came together. I was in Bombay. I I saw the Jubilee test in Bombay, and I saw this man uh, recall Bob Taylor when they were 82 for five or something like that, and they went on to win. There's no other way which he would have played. That's the way which he plays. So I think I think his sportsman spirit also has a lot to do with the affection that people have for him. Uh, Excellent. Sorry, so, just to move so back to the. Important. And by the way, sorry, and to go on from there to the other side of sportsmanship because it connects with the eighty-one series, Mahesh. Because uh, this series that uh, we had with Australia in eighty-one, the Test series, came immediately after Greg Chappell had instructed his brother, poor Trevor Chappell, to bowl under arm to a New Zealander when New Zealand needed six to win. This guy asked Trevor Chappell to bowl under arm. And uh, Australian audiences are both humorous and cruel. So I think there were banners all over the Australian grounds which said, "Greg Chappell, your underarm stinks." Yeah, I read that in your book. I didn't know that it carried on till the series, and and also the the schedule was a little weird, right? They were playing uh, the Test series against New Zealand. In between, they were playing the Tri series, One Day Internationals, and then the India yeah. Test series. So I didn't yeah. realize that uh, it was carrying on till the India Test series till I read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there were banners there saying "Great Chappell, your underarms stinks" and things like that. And 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 I think uh, the New Zealand Prime Minister, in fact, said that's the most disgusting thing he's ever seen on a cricket ground about Greg Chappell. So sorry, Raja, I know you idolize him, but uh, Greg Chappell's other side is this underarm. No, hey, 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 I don't idolize him. I, I idolize him as a batsman. He was a top quality yeah, yeah, batsman. Yeah, I know. I know. Otherwise, I otherwise, nothing, no, nothing else other than his batting. I am just having a fear, please. But the fact is that you must listen to a, a rather long interview with Greg Chappell, where people ask him about this underarm thing. I didn't see any genuine con- uh, what you call regret, saying I shouldn't have done it. Why did I do that kind of thing? I think it was an explanation of I was under stress. I think I was under a lot of strain, and so on and so forth. So all those kind of uh, things were coming in. Except to say, I think it was a totally rotten thing to do to both underarm. That never came out. I think even in that interview, which I think took place many years after the underarm ago, that's an indelible piece. And by the way, Alan McIlroy, the guy with uh, whose uh, I I think I started talking about Alan McIlroy in the beginning of the uh, our conversation today, and what a wonderful commentator he was. Actually, Alan McIlroy himself said that that particular 1980-81 Tri Series and the Test Series. Had the worst of umpiring ever in Australia by long shot, and I think uh, uh, we can say that umpiring elsewhere in the world was also like that many times. But that particular series of one dayers and uh, test matches saw a, probably a dozen lousy decisions. Now whether they got evened out between visiting teams and Australia, I do not know. I think people felt that they were mostly in favour of the home team, but that all that added to some acrimony and some. Unnecessary. It's not merely adding an edge to a series. I think it adds a certain amount of acrimony. Uh, so, so which brings us to the, to the big uh, blow up between Sunny and uh, and Lily. How how was it received in India back then? I know it was a big controversy. And uh, what was the media's take? Were they pro Sunny? Because even Sunny went on to regret it, and and he nearly forfeited the test, which would have been catastrophic, and that would have been a, a dark mark in his CV forever. How was it received in the media at that time, and how? What was your perception of what Sunny did? Were, were you like, were you taking sides as a fan, or were you not really sure what happened? No, the, see, however rotten a decision is, you accept it and walk off. That's all. And and I know you'll go into the dressing room, you'll make a bat, you might break something else, you might destroy the dressing room. But all that happens outside. So I think uh, Gavaskar was very correct. No, he later on said, I shouldn't have done it, but a fuse blew. and the fuse blew because i think it was again a culmination of it so the difference is that gask clearly regretted gask said i shouldn't have done it the fact is that he he got the last of what was a series of rotten decisions by a poor decisions by white okay during that entire summer uh, so so one can one can only understand that yes it was a very poor decision but to walk off absolutely wrong and uh, i think a lot of credit to uh, wing commander durani the manager of the indian team i think babu natkarni also gets some credit but uh, you notice that the last 10 yards when he he literally pushes chauhan to join him to walk off chauhan is dragging his feet you can see gavaskar put his hand on between the shoulder blades of chauhan and push him forward 
and chauhan does that dragging crawling walk beside him and tries to take 4 minutes for what would have been a 2 minute walk or 1 minute walk and then when chauhan is about 3 4 yards from the boundary line had both stepped out the match is forfeited um he he uh, durani quickly pushed uh, dilip vengsarkar in so uh, he just made chauhan slow down a bit as gavaskar walked off i think by then gavaskar also uh, would have been fine with that i think that uh, that uh, 120 minutes of fulmin 120 seconds of fulmination was done and dusted i think as gavaskar was walking off from the ground i think at that point he also knew that it was wrong and he, he was also i think heart of hearts very happy that chauhan slowed down a bit and wing commander told chauhan to stay there and sent uh, dilip vengsarkar in so i think overall if you look at the press i think i think if you look at the indian press also i think the indian press was very fair in the sense that i think prabhu and mohan particularly mohan covering for hindu and prabhu for times of india i think both uh, felt that however rotten a decision our poor a decision to walk off like that and forfeit is not correct which gavaskar also accepts but i think you have to also accept the fact that both of them were equally uh, uh, critical of the quality of umpiring and they compensated for all this by going over the top with their uh, coverage of the final day's victory if you notice uh, i know that uh, prabhu and uh, prabhu uh, mohan is much more uh, even keel but prabhu was a romantic and uh, i think uh, was was absolute lyrical and poetic when india did well apart from having a very good knowledge of the game but prabhu also went over the top in celebrating the final day's victory and i think it was a kind of Uh, letting off steam by him as well as by mohan who called it a miracle and so on and so forth uh, so they never held back from the ecstasy of the victory on the final day and i think to an extent it compensated from their very it it in nicely compensated for what was a very fair coverage of that walk off both of them felt that gavaskar didn't do right but full marks to gavaskar for later on saying that look that was wrong and gavaskar fully accepted yeah i, I think what really uh... triggered gavaskar was and what caused him to actually take chauhan with him was what he said is that somebody one of the aussie players sledged him i think those times probably sledging wasn't that common so i think that really triggered him but till then he was just unhappy with the decision and he was walking off but when that uh, aussie player he doesn't mention which aussie player but he's really is there in the video right so it was really oh, okay fine yeah, really asked him really, to really. get out yeah yeah i think yeah, yeah you're right i think i think that, I think that, that triggered that, him that triggered Yes. Yeah, because otherwise he would just have walked out like any any unhappy batsman. But that Lily abuse actually that got him to even take Chauhan with him. But you're absolutely right. He apologized for it. He said what I did was wrong. It was just a heat of the moment thing, and it was a completely wrong thing to do. It's something you got to give him credit for. These things happen, and and you know how what his condition was at that time. We were so used to Gavaskar getting runs in a series, and till that time to not even get a fifty. and to got bad decisions and finally he's got 70 he's getting there and then to be given out lbw yeah if i were in his position i'd probably do the same thing but also talking of coverage from the media because we used to get the statesman the calcutta edition of the statesman you know i was then in um, in orissa so and we used to get the calcutta edition i think it was kishore bhimani at that time i'm not sure but he used to write for the sports page uh, for the statesman he also gave a very fair uh, representation of the events he was not at all uh, in um, approving of gavaskar's actions uh, and yeah i think in those days journalists probably said it like it was so he said he he also said this he said okay it's a game you get bad decisions and uh, you just have to take them you got to accept them that uh, yeah that's how it is you know umpires can make mistakes and uh, everyone gets bad decisions sometimes it's not done intentionally so you got to respect the rules of the game you're not i mean how good a player you are actually the umpire is the final arbiter of the game so i think uh, and uh, i don't know about the celebration uh, after the match because um, i don't quite remember that that quite that well but i do remember that bhimani who was also a very fair uh, journalist actually i don't think even he spared uh, gavaskar at that time I mean, gavaskar was a very very big name but i think journalists then were pretty fair in their assessment of uh, of the game talking of that reaction to the win how i know you, you mentioned about prabhu's writing in the book as well and, and and how prabhu was very flowery in describing that as one of the historic wins and rightfully so one because it came against a very strong australian team in australia where india typically did not do well 
and we, what we were three bowlers down in terms of injury and and to defend a score uh, from a situation like that was incredible but how 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 was it perceived in india at large like what was your as a fan what was your impression of that win did you at that at that time sense that this was this iconic win or was it just another test win so to be very honest it i was thrilled obviously at the win but i don't know whether it set the stage for a complete change in indian mindset or something like that because if you remember right after that we went to new zealand to play a three test series and we lost that series huh? in fact we lost the very first test after this mcg game it was i think at wellington in the very first test of that uh, new zealand tour and we were chasing something like 250 and we we lost by about 80 90 runs so it i don't think that particular test this particular mcg test made that much of a difference to indian uh, uh, psyche as such uh, as a, um, as a cricket uh, as in giving indian cricketers confidence but i think what it did do is that it made us as cricket fans it made us realize that this team was capable of doing stuff you know you know how it is you know it's like that port of spain win in 76 7576 till then you have a certain impression of the indian cricket team you know you have ups and downs and when that port of spain win happened in 76 suddenly you felt hey these guys can make things happen and that's what happened with 8081 also just like the port of spain win where you had gavaskar amanath vishwanath patel all getting together and winning us that test match unbelievable win at the port of spain just like that here i felt that hey these guys have completely from a losing series they made it 1-1 and now we've we're at level but then i don't think see some people sometimes hype things up too much huh? they say okay well, because of that we uh, indian cricket went on a different trajectory and all that i think that's too much of an exaggeration it was one of those completely unexpected and therefore extremely thrilling wins for a cricket fan but did it make any difference to indian cricket performance as such i don't think so okay i say this as a person who was waiting to watch an indian test win in australia since i was born so this happened before i was born and i had to wait till 2004 when uh, when uh, dravid uh, and lakshman and agarkar got us the victory in adelaide and that victory was so iconic ndtv was showing the last 3 or 4 overs live on their news network so uh, i i mean whether it went on to herald a new chapter for indian cricket or not i just want to understand how much of a an attraction or or coverage it got around that time around the victory itself uh, giri giri do you have any sense of uh, how was it covered and and what was what was your reaction to to it and how was your neighborhood reacting to the to the victory are you talking of the 2003 4 kind of thing or No, I'm talking about eighty-one. Like I have a sense of how, what two thousand four felt like. So I just want to get a sense of how eighty-one felt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. So I was about to say no comparison. I think eighty-one remarkable victory. Uh, come from behind. We thought we were we're going to lose two-zero, uh, three-zero, making it one-one. Great, uh, fantastic bravery. Eighty-three all out. What more do you want? But back to work. And uh, I think. Uh, I, personally speaking, the kind of thrill I experienced in '71 after the West Indies win, or the '71 win over England, or even that '76 Port of Spain 400 victory that uh, Raja talked of, those are all uh, stuff that lingered on in your mind for many, many days. The, the taste uh, of it, uh, the '81 victory, honestly, was a great victory. Uh, but I think it was back to work with not too much thought on the on that victory next day morning kind of thing. See, Mahesh, we need to realize one thing, okay? I mean, we the media today, this they, they we tend to hype up everything today, okay? And in those days, unfortunately, even good achievements purely because of the nature of media in those days, it was very staid. You know, you'd have newspaper reports, you'd have magazines, and the reporting was quite you know very structured, very formal. So even the ecstasy that would be described would be described in in a certain certain manner, which is very difficult for us today to. to even imagine sometimes you know and you should also i wanted to touch upon uh, some of the australian performances and how how it was received at that time was was that the first time you uh, you got to watch lily uh, i mean it was the first time in india but was it the first time you got to watch lily on tv even in the form of highlights i think so unless yeah i think so so, uh, so what was that experience like to to kind of watch this legend that you've read about that you <laughs> heard about to watch it watch him on on clips even delayed clips how was that experience like i think he was uh, 
I I distinctly remember thinking I wish we could have watched him a few years earlier also. Uh, uh, maybe when he was in his twenties. I think he was already thirty-two, and he, although he played for a few more years, he was obviously uh, even at that time fantastic. Uh, that particular series, I think, he shared the spoils uh, almost equally, if I'm not mistaken, with Pasco and uh, uh, Hog. and i think at times pasco seemed fiercer than uh, lily uh, but lily of course is poetry in motion was fantastic so very very uh, thrilled because we got to watch thompson in 77 78 you know when india went to uh, australia in 77 78 we got to watch thompson thompson was the only guy in the top australian team who had not gone to packer and therefore he played for simpsons uh, australia and we got to watch highlights with thompson and his slingshot uh, bowling action where his right arm will start from his left buttock and come around and uh, finish up uh, you know as he bowls unforgettable uh, lily was much more conventional straight uh, imagine a guy coming back from serious back surgery and doing all that uh, i'm just trying to think whether we had we saw any clippings from you know those uh, short clippings of the earlier games uh, I, i'm just trying to remember whether i've seen him because uh, when i was in college we had an arrangement with the uh, with the between india and australia where the highlights used to come to india i'm just trying to remember can't remember friend which one what i remember seeing a australia new zealand series did they play a series in 75 76 australia and new zealand and i remember seeing some highlights of that but i can't remember lily bowling i i my memory is 1981 lily bowling and of course after and how about uh, how about watching uh, kim hughes because uh, he was quite an attractive batsman to watch as well and his double hundred was quite a scintillating innings very very fluent and, and he also placed spin quite well did, did you uh, how, how was he quite popular in, in india at that time because he happens to be an attractive player he came to india he embraced india quite uh, quite well unlike other aussie cricketers of the generation how, how was the experience watching kim hughes yeah well i had a very high opinion of kim hughes huh, because in that series in india he had done very well in, in fact i think he was the top scorer on both sides if i'm not mistaken almost every innings he was contributing and this was a side which was which always had its back to the wall it was a very weak aussie side huh, which came to india completely packer depleted and we we won only 2-0 but i think uh, uh, that team would have gone back with their heads held high because they had virtually uh, no experienced players i mean there's just kim hughes and even border was quite new at the time i think they had dimuk who was somewhat experienced but that was it and hughes really uh, did a great job in that series as a batsman he played he was he was also very young actually he also had no experience of indian conditions and he played spin wonderfully i remember him playing doshi very very well so you know as a batsman i had very high regard for hughes so when we went to australia for the 80 81 series i already sort of knew that he was going to be a thorn even then so that double hundred didn't surprise me at all uh, of course his captaincy came uh, by the time by the time he was not captain he was grip uh, chapel had the captaincy but i want to talking about aussie players in that series the one who really impressed me was pasco I mean, even Giri mentioned that Pasco was um, almost as successful as Lily. I think Lily got more wickets, but Pasco was very dangerous. I mean, he was a nasty bowler. Apart from that bouncer, which uh, got Patil on the head, even otherwise, Pasco was. I mean, Lily uh, Hog. I don't remember Hog doing too much in that series, but Lily Pasco together, it was like you want to see Lily off, but then you have Pasco to deal with. You know, <laughs> so it was like like you had Holy Marshall. That way, you had Lily Pasco. and i think pasco was uh, didn't have a very long career either huh? i think he disappeared after about 3 or 4 years but he was another of those guys who had a shot but brilliant at very but uh, he was one of those bright stars so a lot of people talk about lily all the time and of course lily was uh, had, uh, was a great 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 bowler but pasco also deserves some credit i think he, uh, we shouldn't uh, forget him Uh, and uh, I, th- i think if i'm not mistaken he got a lot of key wickets i think he got gavaskar out also a couple of times probably vishwanath also i think he remember i remember him clean bowling vishwanath sometimes so he got uh, he got pretty important wickets in that series so i just i think for me pasco would be the cricketer of australia apart from of course greg chapel and lily who were anyway uh, the biggest stars hughes of course uh, hughes we know what knew what to expect and pasco uh, i think he if i'm not mistaken um, he uh, he had also gone to wsc was yeah 
So I don't. Yeah, he's also gone to WSC. So we didn't have. Uh, I didn't. We didn't know. I didn't know too much about him. I think he played in uh, England in '77 on the disastrous uh, Aussie Ashes series in England, and he done well even then. So he was one of those players who I don't remember Pasco ever failing. Yeah, surprisingly, he played only one test after the series. Uh, apparently, he was injured and he couldn't come back or whatever. But he seemed to have been a, a really exciting sort of talent. He was he was a nasty bowler. I mean, uh, he people like pa- Len Pasco, uh, Sylvester Clark. You know, you don't. These are the names that don't come top of mind when you think about really you know, uh, fast bowlers. But they were quite dangerous bowlers. So I think as a batsman, without wearing a helmet in those days, you wouldn't be very happy facing Pas. Excellent. Okay, I think we've covered pretty much uh, a good chunk of that series. Uh, if we have to, if I have to ask you for, let's say, the three lasting memories that you will carry from that series that you still remember pretty well, what would what would those three memories be, or, or three moments, three images, whatever it is? Just pick the top three that comes to your mind. I was just walk, walking off with. Uh... Gavaskar's walking off with uh, Chauhan. And then, uh, I think, uh, Chapel getting bowled by that ball by Gavri. And I think the final day, uh, Kapil's spell, I can't say any three lasting things. The way Kapil and Doshi uh, bowled India to victory. That would be my... Yeah, I'd, uh, my, my three memories would be, yeah, two of those which Giri has mentioned, yeah, Gavaskar walking off. That one, and of course the sweet, sweet, sweet uh, feeling of uh, the victory at the MCG. But instead of picking the Gavri dismissal of uh, Chapel, I'd go for Patel's innings, huh? because that 174, I still remember the way he batted. I mean, I, I, it was all radio commentary for me. I must say that I didn't get to watch it at that time, but I wasn't used to India dominating any Indian batsman dominating. Uh, this was well before, t- today we are used to Sehwag and all that. I mean, Sehwag completely changed the way India bats. Okay, the way batting happens nowadays. Raja, sorry. Ra- Ra- yeah. uh, apologies for butting. Yes, Raja, if you look at it as a series, uh, definitely uh, 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 Patil's 174. But I, I right. uh, from the third test, I, I just thought the sheer irony of the world's best, uh, one of the world's greatest batsmen getting bowled by that kind of a ball, I thought should be. Yeah, see, he, he asked for three. That's all. He asked for three <laughs> memories. Huh? He asked for three memories. Had he asked for four, I'd have probably picked the Gavri dismissal, the Gavri chapel thing too. But I can't forget <laughs> yeah. about forget Patel's batting. Huh? Like, like you said, 174 yeah, of, yeah. of 250 or run, balls or something. Huh? I mean, that is in those days unthinkable. Today you can get that with the Ben Stokes and all that, huh? but in those days, 174 would normally take you 450 deliveries, you know, something like that. It would be a built-up innings. And this guy was hammering the ball everywhere in Australia. Lily, Pasco, come on! And and I hadn't even heard much about him before that. So for me, it was like, what is happening here? You know, so like, what is? I mean, we're not used to India scoring those many runs in India. Forget about in Australia, you know, against Lily and Pasco. It's it's not like uh, they were playing against this. Uh, that that uh, Packer impoverished side. This was Lily Pasco in. Uh, uh, this was at Adelaide, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, an unforgettable innings. I, I think it we, that innings needs to be uh, right, held right up there. I mean, people talk about Indian um, uh, bat. Any uh, if you talk, make a list of the top fifteen or twenty innings by Indian batsmen, I think that innings should make its. Uh, place in that list because in, in the history of Indian uh, test cricket I, I think um, it was that type of an innings absolutely absolutely fantastic so for all those uh, who are quite young and who probably haven't heard about the innings or have read about it but haven't watched please go to YouTube check out the innings the crunchy drives the crispy cuts they're all there and, and like Giri mentioned the sound that uh, that um, you know the, the shots make off his bat gives some indication of the weight of his bat as well. It makes a very crystal clear, distinct sound. Something like uh, like what we used, to, we used to see with Lakshman or Generation earlier. A, a very distinct sound which was unique even in that time. You should also check out uh, some of the YouTube clips of the Kapil Dev spell there. Quite uh, uh, gives an indication of his determination plus his creating smarts. And one of the things that I noticed on the video is the you know when he takes the first wicket on coming back to bowl, he was so tired. He was all over the place in terms of his action. And even when the umpire gives the verdict out, he didn't seem to celebrate much. 
but as he was getting more wickets he got you know a greater stride and and he was bowling with a, a probably more compact action you could see all that energy and the adrenaline was driving him and that's it right he could have really enjoyed himself seriously but to go ahead and do that i mean we talk about kumble's uh, sort of uh, josh trap spell and getting lara out and this was right up there probably even bigger in terms of the impact it had so anybody who's younger who's not uh, heard of it or who's heard of it but who's not watched it please go go to youtube and check them out there are some phenomenal clips uh, and, and that that's a testimony to to the to the achievements of that side i think with that we've uh, we've come to the end of the show thanks a lot uh, raja for joining and thanks a lot giri for joining us uh, it's been it's been a great time talking about uh, indian cricket at that time and particularly of that series it's absolute pleasure having this conversation i'm so happy because uh, giri and i we share so many memories of the time i mean it's and he goes back even earlier than i do but uh, you know you so much nostalgia today i, I love talking about 70s and early 80s anyway so the pleasure is entirely mine thanks a lot mahesh for this opportunity thank you very much mahesh india great talking to both of you india have won the series they're going to get back for two india home lords goes wild